0: You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Into the message this morning, which many of us need to hear, including myself. You know, um, I always laugh because at the end of almost every service, I always have some people that we chat a little bit, we talk, some people want to share kind of just what God spoke to them through the message at that time. And a lot of times, I think people assume I'm preaching from some kind of place of arrival. And I just want to say today, most of the time, I'm preaching to myself. I need to hear what I'm saying just as much as you do. So I'm not coming to you from some place of arriving far ahead of you. I'm coming, speaking from a place where God literally speaks to me and is saying, this is something you need in your life. This is something that needs to change in you, or this is some mindset God wants to put inside me. And so I often am speaking from that place. I hope that's the way it comes across. And today will definitely be one of those days. So um, if you've been joining us for the last number of weeks, really since January 1st, we've started a series called Soul Training. Training in our lives for spiritual things. You know, Paul, I quoted this verse in the first week. Paul says, physical training is, is good, but spiritual training is better. We have to train our spiritual selves, our spiritual lives, so we can actually learn to follow God in the way we're supposed to, so we can actually become who God's designed us to be. All right, so we're going to start today in Genesis 2. And today we're talking about rest. Rest yes, rest. How many of us want more rest? I do. Sometimes I feel like no matter how much I can sleep in or how much extra rest I might get, sometimes I almost feel more tired even after. Like, So my wife and I went, um, I think it was the first three days of January. We went away for two nights, three days to Plattsburgh just to spend the night to get away, and honestly, as we were talking about what we wanted to do, we were kind of like, nothing. We just want to do nothing. We want to go and sleep in, and we did. Now, Jessica got up before me. I slept in one day till 11.30. We had the shades drawn. It was dark in the room. There were no kids screaming. There were no people pounding on my door. I slept till 11.30 a.m., I got up, I couldn't believe what time it was, I showered, we went to lunch first, you know, and probably like four o'clock in the afternoon, I caught myself yawning, like really yawning. It just goes, oh, are you tired? I'm like, yeah, I'm really tired. And then I'm like, I haven't even done anything. And I woke up at 1130. Sometimes rest seems to evade us, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems like it's this really difficult thing to actually find, this difficult thing to experience. We love sleeping, but sometimes it doesn't seem like we can get caught up on rest. Well, you know, the Bible talks a ton about rest. Jesus talks a ton about rest. And in fact, it's an extremely spiritual thing for us to do in our lives, and it's actually a much-needed thing. Now, listen, anytime God designs us with something that we physically need, it's also because we spiritually need it. And listen, you physically need rest. Now, I did a little research about sleep deprivation and insomnia. There's technically no recorded, like, official cases of someone dying from not sleeping. But there's many cases of people dying because of lack of sleep for some other cause. So people can try to stay awake. They can... Try to, you know, some people that suffer from insomnia go days and days and days without really sleeping or entering maybe the deep side of sleep. But really, there's this thing that happens in us. And and what's crazy is that uh, when you sleep, I I did a couple of research things. When you sleep or don't sleep 17 to 19 hours, it's the equivalence of being drunk. 17 to 19 hours. So maybe you've never drank and drive before, but you've probably sleep deprived and drove before right? Actually, thousands of deaths a year occur because people drowsy at the wheel, falling asleep, and then getting in a car accident dying. 17 to 19 hours is equal to the equivalence of being drunk at the wheel. If you go 24 hours of not sleeping, they actually say it's twice the, the ratio of blood alcohol content, 0.5%, which is kind of the federal rating of that. It's, t- it's 0.1% in your blood would be the same as sleeping for not 24 hours. We're designed for sleep. We're designed for rest. But yet sometimes we neglect real rest in our lives. So I'm going to jump to Genesis 2, and I'm going to talk about why, from the beginning of time, God has set this up in our life and why we so desperately need it, especially in the world we live in today in the lives we're experiencing today. So Genesis 2-2 says this, well, let's we'll start in verse 1. So the creations of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. So right after Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. We kind of see this scenario take place of, of how it comes about and how he, he sets up the earth. And then it says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Okay, real quick. I mean, everybody's heard the quote, right? You can sleep when you're dead. That's technically not true. All right, just technically. And I know it's kind of a joke thing we say, but really, listen, if God rests, the one who created heavens and earth the one who created the whole thing that we understand, our bodies and everything, if his creation brings him to a place of taking a rest, we should consider resting as well. God, our Father in heaven, needs to rest. That's what it's saying. He's saying that he took a rest, and then he set this day aside It says, on the seventh day, he set this day aside. He called it holy. Now listen, when we say the word holy, it's not some uber-spiritual meaning. It literally just means to be set apart, to be unlike the rest of the days. And so the rest of the days are set up for us to create work. We're, We're called to be creators. We're called to work in this world to create things and to have produce and to have fruitfulness in our lives. But then there's a day where we're supposed to rest. Now, many of us work a five-day work week, and then we have Saturday and Sunday off, but often we work on those days for different reasons. Yet God really puts into the fabric of our humanity and the fabric of creation a day of rest, and then we see it all throughout Scripture, and we see it in the New Testament, but what we actually see, even though God puts this principle into us, is how much we neglect it as people. And then how much we actually pay the cost because we neglect it as people. So verse 3, right, it says, It was on that day he rested from all his work in creation. So God wants us to create. Let's go to Exodus 20. So Exodus 20, we're going to see the Ten Commandments. So God puts this in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Verse 8, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It means keep it set apart. Don't treat that day like the rest. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, what's funny is in the Ten Commandments, you get a lot of thou shalt nots right? You get these quick statements of don't do this. And there's basically only two where he elaborates drastically so that we don't get confused. And one of them is rest. One of the the main Ten Commandments where God has to elaborate so that we don't break it is rest. Yet, he puts that in the same category as not killing one another, not cheating on, on your wife and your, your husband. Like He puts all these things, and then he puts rest in there, and he says, don't break this rule. Now, there's something really important to, to say here, and we're going to turn to Mark 2 next. So the Sabbath day was set up in the Old Testament, obviously there in Exodus, and it was really pretty strictly adhered to for a lot of reasons, especially once you get... To uh, Jesus' day, there was a lot of arguing about the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about one of those stories in just a minute. But I just want to share with you, real quick, the exact layout of what the Sabbath looked like. So, in the Old Testament, you see this one day set apart. And it was called the Sabbath. It was the last day of the week. And in uh, Jewish traditions today, they still they celebrate it on Saturday, not on Sunday. So s- Sunday's technically the beginning of the week, and Saturday's the end. They call it Shabbat. It just means Saturday. And it actually starts on sundown of Friday evening at like 5 p.m., and it goes till sundown on Saturday evening. That's how they celebrated the day, or that's how they adver- ad- observed the days. That's how they s- celebrated Shabbat. And so not only that, we see later in Scripture, we're going to jump down there uh, later, actually. Or actually, we might not turn all the way over there. But we see where God institutes this whole layout for the land. And basically, every seven years of producing crops in the land, he also says that land needs to take a break. So not only in the DNA of humanity were we to take a rest, but actually the DNA of our planet, of literally the ground, God says you can plant fruit and crops and whatever you need to in this dirt for seven or for six years, but on the seventh year you need to let it rest. And it'll produce its own crop. And actually he, he gives a promise in there that on the sixth year it'll produce three times as much crop and you'll be able to have it even into the eighth year. And he promises them you don't have to plant in that year. And so there was this sixth year and seventh year of resting. And then actually after every harvest season they would take a whole week So, they would harvest all their crops and their fruit, and then they had set into their principle of practice to take a week of rest, to take a break and enjoy what they had created and what they had just seen as fruit in their lives. So, they had this rhythm of rest that was really given to them by God, but I'll be honest and say they did not observe it. In fact, they let the land never rest. It, it, scripture doesn't actually show any time where they actually did what they were called to do for the land. You know, there's this one kind of saying that basically uh, when when the Israelites were taken into captivity and they were put into captivity for 70 years, it was the exact amount of years that the land had needed to rest. 70 times they were supposed to have let that land rest and they didn't. And then they were sent into captivity. Well, the land got its rest for 70 years. So God has this rhythm built not only into our lives, but actually the the life of our planet and the world that we're supposed to experience rest. A place where we are not, not producing. Now listen, this goes against everything in American Western civilization, right? I mean, we're supposed to work non-stop. The more you work, the, the better it is. And, and in fact, like I think we all wear this badge of busyness, right? You've heard people say that before, this, this busyness thing. You ask someone, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Good, but I'm busy. And we kind of wear this thing of being busy in our lives, but that's not what is really we're supposed to be living like. We're supposed to be living a life of producing and creating for a period, but then we're all supposed to be living a life of rest after our creating. And often we do not practice this. I know I don't myself. I usually get into my head that I have to get something done. And I have this timetable. I like to make plans. You know, I've been building an addition for for nine months now and basically have done most of myself. I've had some friends helping me at different times. But every single day I'm thinking about what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I get into my head that I shouldn't take a break because I want to get it done. But yet there's something... That scripture teaches us, and if we actually believe in the principle of of rest in our lives, I think it's possible that we can get more fruitfulness from our lives in six days than we can in seven when we practice a rhythm of rest. That if we actually put into our lives a Sabbath where we take a day Where we take time in our life and we say, God, I'm giving this time to you. I'm not just going to produce today. I'm not just going to try to make more today. I'm not going to just try to make more money or to get further ahead today. I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to rest. I'm going to focus on all the goodness of you in my life. Then I think actually we would produce more in the six than we would in the seven. In fact, that is the promise that scripture teaches. That's why he says, let the seventh year let the land have rest. I'll make sure that that six year produces far more than you could have produced in the seven. I think the same is true in our lives. And it's this principle God sets up, not just in rule, but actually from the beginning of time in how we're created. So now I'm going to turn to Mark 2. Mark 2, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and, and they're kind of challenging him and his followers on Basically them working. So we're going to start in verse 23 just to set up. It says, One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off some grain, some heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was the high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. All right, listen, as Christians, as religious people, as rule followers, we tend to make everything into this rule following idea, this law of our lives. And in fact, you look in Leviticus and you look in Exodus, you look when God gives them the Ten Commandments and then and then more. Well, they turned it into this rule system and Jesus comes on the saying to say, listen, the rules weren't really about meeting its requirements. The rules were about you. The rules were what was good for you. It was me trying to teach you That this is what's going to make your life fruitful. This is what's going to make life for you good. And so he says, listen, the Sabbath wasn't made to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was was made for us. And so God puts this seventh day of rest in our life, this rhythm of, of actually not producing, not for his benefit, but for ours. You know, I've talked about sin so many times in here. I'll probably continue to always talk about it in this way because we have to get through our head. Sin, missing the mark in our lives, was not some list of rules that God doesn't want us to touch. It was a list of things that will hurt us. And so when God says, don't do X, Y, and Z in your life, it's not because he doesn't want us to just do one random thing he picked. It's because he knew what was best for us just like all of us as parents, any of you that are parents out there. How many times do we give rules to our kids? It isn't just because we don't want them to not do something. It's simply because we know what's best for them because we're older. Because we can see that this is going to hurt them. My kids, I I don't understand it, but they run outside constantly. Like right now, negative 15 degrees with no socks and shoes on. I'll come home. I pull in the driveway Before I can even get out of the car, the door is busting open and Isaac is running outside. He's got no socks or shoes on, sometimes no shirt. And he's just laughing hysterically. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's negative 15 degrees. Get some socks and shoes on. He's like, I'm fine. He always says that. I'm fine. I'm like, you're not fine. You're going to die if you stay out here. Go in the house. You're crazy. And now it's not some rule just because I'm like, oh, it's appropriate only for you to wear socks. No. No his feet are literally going to freeze and fall off if he stays outside at negative 15. And so we make these rules, but this is the same way God looks at us. And so he's saying, listen, you need to rest in your life. You need to do this thing in your life. If you don't, it's going to hurt you. It's not going to, you're not going to be fruitful. You're not going to produce the way you're supposed to produce. Now I found that when I don't rest, I might get some work done, But I'm not fruitful in other ways. And I'll just give you a couple of ways that when I'm tired, I'm not very fruitful. Probably the most unfruitful part of my life when I'm tired is being a good husband. (laughs) Ask my wife. I get tired, I get grumpy. I get a little annoyed at every little thing that happens. Another place where I'm unfruitful when I'm tired and don't have rest in my life is as a father. Instead of seeing my kids and their joy, I'm just annoyed that they're loud. And I become unfruitful. Maybe I've gotten some extra work done. Maybe I've produced something that I felt I needed to produce. Maybe I accomplished something in that way. But then I become unfruitful in other areas of my life. The same is true for all of us. You know, what we do with our lives is kind of a finite amount. Now, we can always muster to do more, but usually it's because you have to sacrifice something else. And so when we sacrifice rest in our life, and we maybe become more fruitful or productive in one area of our lives, we're going to become less fruitful in another. And I think the thing that God was trying to get us to see in this was that if we're only productive seven days a week or all the time with our hands, because listen, God loves our hands. And when I, when I say that, he, I mean he loves the work that we can create. You know, in Genesis 2, right after this, this part of rest, it says he puts Adam to work in the garden. And he says, tend after it, look after it, take care of my creation. And he has him naming the animals and he has him doing work. God loves the work of our hands. He loves when we build things and create things and, and do whatever it is that God's given us the gift to do. He does love that six days a week. But if our all of our lives is consumed by the work of our hands and not some of it by the work of our heart and by the work of the spiritual side of who we are, something goes awry. Something gets off center. And we become only about productive things instead of about fruitfulness in other ways in our life. I know that we're all guilty of this. I am absolutely guilty of this. When I think that the most important thing I can do is to do something more. It's not. Sometimes the most important thing I can do is to be something more. To be something more for my family or for the people around me. Maybe to be something more in my relationship with Christ and my relationship with our Father in Heaven. To be something more for the, the world around me rather than to just accomplish more work. That only can happen when we find a place of rest in our lives and we can set aside production and work and actually let God work through rest in us. So I'm going to jump now to Hebrews 3, 7. The writer of Hebrews basically uses a, a, quite a few chapters here to talk about rest, and it's important in our lives, and its importance in our lives. So Hebrews three, we're actually going to start in verse seven, and uh, we're going to skip down through almost a chapter and a half. So just follow along with me, and uh, and we'll uh, see what see what the the writer here says. So today in verse seven, what? It, That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. So this is God's word speaking. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath, They will never enter my place of rest they will never enter my place of rest. Now listen, the Hebrew writer was literally quoting back to some scripture from the Old Testament where God spoke to the Israelites and basically said, because you're ignoring the rules and the things I've taught you to do, you're never going to enter my place of rest. So we know some of the story. Moses, you know, he's supposed to lead them into the promised land. And and Moses even gets angry at one point and kind of does something he's not supposed to do. And God says, you're not going to enter the promised land. Now Joshua's going to do it. And actually everyone from this generation that has ignored my laws and my, my what I'm telling them to do, is not going to enter the promised land. So they wander about for 40 years till they all die. And then the next generation gets to enter. And, and this is what he calls it, enter my place of rest. God has a place of rest for us that he wants us to enter. Verse 12, be careful then. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. We're going to jump down. To verse 18 it says, And to whom was God speaking when he took this oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Chapter 4, keep following me. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Now listen. The writer here is is is. Referring back to this Old Testament story, and really when God was speaking that, he was really referring to them entering the promised land. But the writer is saying to us, listen, he may have been talking this place of rest as the promised land, but listen, this place of rest still stands. So God has a place of rest for us to enter that's literally waiting for us. A place of rest that, that still is available to us. So we, and it says this, So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you, and he's talking about warning each other, might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who, belong, who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath and they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passages, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. Listen, I know that rest kind of sounds almost like a, a menial thing to really talk about. But I think somehow we've done that. We've put it aside as like it's not that big a deal. Now listen, I'm not talking about law and even the way that the Hebrew writer its like, God will take this oath and you won't be able to enter a place of rest. Listen, it's not really like that. Actually, God just simply is going to acknowledge our choice. He's going to acknowledge our choice to refuse his rest and to refuse his goodness in our life so when we come before him, we can't enter because we refused it. But it's not this law that we have to fulfill. It's something for us that God from the beginning of time was trying to get us to see how important it was. So much so that in Exodus 20 when he gives us the Ten Commandments he elaborates drastically why it's important. And then here in the Hebrew writer just completely expounds basically making it this huge ordeal. Talking about how people disobeyed the the rhythm of rest that God set before them so don't get caught up in the same deception as them. And he's saying, listen, and that, he says, so God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. Listen, we can enter his rest today. God is not stuck on a certain day of the week. I don't even think God is stuck on some perfect timetable that starts at 5 p.m. on a certain day and ends at 5 p.m. on another day. Now, I think it's a good practice for us to actually take a certain day of the week. In fact, for me, I try to take Mondays. Because, honestly, coming to church is work for me. Literally. (laughs) I come, I speak, and I prepare, and we do work to get this thing all set and ready for you guys. Today is half of a work day for me. And so I try to take Mondays where I'm not going to struggle and produce and just work hard. Now, I obviously break my own rule at times. But I want to have this rhythm in my life where I say, God, God, I want to just take today, be thankful. I want to relate to you. I want to have this rhythm in my life. I don't want to get caught up in just producing and ignoring what you've taught us. And today, he says, you can enter that place of rest. And he's speaking of two things. I think literally we can begin a rhythm of rest, this soul training in our lives. But I also think he's meaning something else. I think he's saying today, no matter who you are, That you can enter a place of rest in Jesus. That you can receive the gift of grace that he's given us. Listen, sometimes the world prevents us from having rest. By no choice of your own, things are just crazy. Maybe you have lots of kids at home like I do. Maybe you have elderly parents at home that you're taking care of on on a daily and nightly basis. Always taking care of their needs maybe you have an illness in your own life that just keeps you from being able to actually feel rested in your life maybe there are literal physical things in your life that limit you from experiencing rest those are realities that can't change at times but yet in this scripture I believe that we can find a place of rest even if we can't find a rhythm of a day off a week even if we can't find those hours where we don't do anything at all except for just sit and relax, I believe we can enter a place of rest in Jesus. And that's partially what this writer is explaining. He's saying, listen, it can start today. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, what you think you should have done, God wants you to enter his place of rest today. He wants you to know he's just waiting with open arms to accept you in. And I believe even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of a world pandemic, even in the midst of of unrest in our country and in our nation, that we can actually be at rest in the midst of craziness. I think that place is in one person. It's Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to jump now to Matthew 11. I'm going to finish up in Matthew 11. These are Jesus' words. Verse 28, he says this. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Are you weary today? you have heavy burdens in your life? Are you carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders? Are you worried about what's literally happening in our world and in politics? Are you worried about what's happening with racism and division in our country? Are you worried about what's happening with COVID-19 and the coronavirus and what's going to happen for 2021? Are you, are you worried about your kids and what they're going to grow up in? Are you worried? Do you carry heavy burdens in your life? I think most of us can say, yeah, we do. And so if that's you, Jesus is speaking to you today, these words, all who carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. But this is what's interesting. It's almost like an exchange actually has to take place here. Because the next scripture is just as important. He says, take my yoke upon you. So of course in in today's world we don't talk about yokes much. But you see, a yoke was this thing where the cattle's heads, right, the oxen's heads would go inside this wood contraption and it would yoke them together. So we can't just picture yoke as like something being put on our head. We're actually being put, something is put on our shoulders around our head so that we can move forward. But guess who it's with? Jesus. We get yoked with Jesus. And so Jesus says, put my yoke upon you. Listen, if I want to walk forward in life, if I want to work towards something in life, the person I want to be yoked to work with is Jesus. But so often I think what we've done, especially in Western civilization, we've forgotten the yoking part with Jesus. And he's saying, you're carrying the heavy burdens all by yourself. You see, we already have the yoke around us. What's really is happening here, the invitation is Jesus saying, I'll carry it with you. I'll carry it with you. Let me take your heavy burdens Let me put my yoke on you so that we are now walking together in life. You know, Jesus rarely promises to just take us out of difficult situations or to to just kind of lift us out and make our life all roses and butterflies or to fix every situation, but he always promises to be in the midst of it with us. No matter how difficult the situation is, he's saying, come to me, All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will put my yoke on you. It wasn't an added weight. He was taking the weight off us. So we could be connected to him, side by side, walking with him, so that no matter what we carry, Jesus carries it with us. And then he says this, Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. For you will find rest for your souls. Who wants rest for their souls today? Does anybody need it? I do. I need rest in my soul. Even as we've been talking about soul training, I... I just feel like God's so desperately wanting us to find a place of rest in our lives where we allow Jesus to come into our life and we say, come in and, and whatever way you want to, Jesus. Put your yoke on me. Help me carry my heavy burdens. And I'm promising you, his promise will come true. He will give you rest. Jesus wants to teach us to find rest. So there is a process of finding it. But here's the question. Will we let him? I love, I love Jesus saying it this way. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. He's not going to force you to be taught. He's not going to make you give him your heavy burden or give him our heavy burdens. He's asking us, let me teach you. And I think that's what he's saying to me today. He's saying to us today as we talk about rest. He's asking, will you let me teach you About rest? Will you let me teach you about my grace in your life? Will you let me carry this with you? I think Christianity is almost all hinged. When I say Christianity, I'm not talking about the theology of this religion, I'm talking about the following of Christ, the knowing of our Savior. I think knowing of our Savior is literally all hinged on us letting Christ in. It's it's our choice. He doesn't force it. He comes and he hangs on the cross and he takes sin upon himself and he raises from the dead to show us that new life is available for every one of us. Yet he does it all knowing that it's not him forcefully doing it, but yet we have to let him into our lives. Will you let him in this morning? Maybe you've known Christ for a long time. Maybe you've known all about Christianity and you know the Bible well. But you realize maybe I have not let Christ into my life in this way. Maybe I haven't let him yoke with me in my life. Maybe I've tried to carry everything myself. Maybe I've tried to just produce too much and I haven't learned about rest. Maybe he wants to do that today. Will you let him in closer? Maybe you're watching today and you don't know God at all. Maybe you don't know anything about this Jesus really other than what you've heard. I'm telling you today, he wants to come into your life. He wants to walk through the most difficult of situations with you. And all we have to do is let him. Will you let him? Right now, in your home, in your car, however you're watching this thing, however you're hearing this message, this is the question, will you let him? And you know how it starts? Just say yes. Right now. Say yes, Jesus, I want to let you in. Jesus, I, wanna, I want your yoke in my life. I want you to carry it with me. God, I don't want this burden anymore. I don't want this sin in my life anymore. I don't want it my own way anymore. I want it your way. And simply then it starts. Right now, your life can begin to change. I love how he writes in, uh, when we're reading in Hebrews, the writer says, and today is that day. That rest can start today. Your new life can start today in Jesus. Just let him in. I'm going to pray right now. And I want to challenge us. How can you begin practicing a rhythm of rest in your life? How can you begin today to let him in deeper? I'm going to pray right now for you at home, wherever you're at watching, that his peace and his rest come into your life and that you let him in this morning. And I believe God's going to do something incredible that many of us are going to find rest like we've never found before. Father, we thank you for what you're doing Jesus, we thank you that you've made this available to us. God, we thank you that really since the beginning of time, you've tried to build into the DNA of us as humanity that we need rest and that it's important that we aren't just producers, but God, that you have rest for us. That we can enjoy your goodness in our lives on those days. But God, I pray right now that as many of us kind of step back and evaluate our lives, God, that we let you in. God, we want to let you teach us about rest. We want to let you teach us about your grace, God. We want to let you show us who you really are, God. We let you into our lives this morning. For those of us who have followed you for some time, God, we let you in in a fresh way. For those of us brand new this morning, God, we let you in and we receive your grace in Jesus' name. And God, we thank you that in a moment Our lives can change. In a moment, you can come in and yoke yourselves with us and carry our burdens, carry our lives with us. So Father, I ask right now for blessing and favor over every person watching. God, I ask for your provision in their life. God, I ask that this week there would be tangible, real stories of how you've come and yoked yourself with people and carried their burdens moving forward. And God, we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Hope you have a wonderful week. If God's doing something in your heart, we'd love for you to reach out, send us a message of what God's doing. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.